Thank you so much. This is a letter. That's why we've had a postman here today. That's why I had Pete here all the time, because one of the most important things I want us to think about when we go into Romans is that we're talking about a letter that was sent by somebody for a purpose. And we're going to wonder what that means as well. Towards the end of that reading, if you're over there, there's some stuff for you to be doing while I'm speaking, but do listen as well. I'm going to have some key buzzy words that I'm going to ask you to think about. But here's something that I also think you can do if you want to during this time. The last verse, or verse 16, Romans 1, 16 is a really good memory verse. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for those who are being saved. So my question to you is this. Many of you have got my mobile phone number. I'm not going to put it on the screen because it goes out on the internet and I don't want everyone in the world to have my mobile phone number. If you have my mobile phone number, Jerry's sitting in the front row with my mobile phone. During this, this talk, I want you to be thinking a bit about what is the power of the gospel? What does that mean to you? The power of the gospel. And if you've got an answer to that, just a short text message, why don't you text it to my phone and we're going to share some of what you think as well at the end of this message. But to begin with, let's come back to this. So we had a post bag, didn't we? And postman Pete came and delivered our letters because... What we're looking at in the Bible today is a letter that was delivered at one sense. It was written by a particular person. Do you think that's true? To a particular church, yes? At a particular time, for a particular purpose. Is that all true, do you think? So it's a letter that's written by a particular person, to a particular church, for a particular purpose, at a particular time. We believe all of that. But we also believe that what we read is God's word, which is eternal and lasts and has truth for all times. Do we believe that? Now, this is a tricky thing because we have to put those two things together to understand what the letter is actually saying to us. Because if it's God's word, it really matters that we understand what the particular person was writing about to the particular church at the particular time for what particular purpose. God's word is that. And we need to understand what that thing is. And then we need to do the work of thinking, well, what does that mean for us today? And that's a short summary of what I'm going to be trying to do over many weeks over next year, here and there, as we come back to Romans from time to time. We want to take both of these things seriously. And that's where we're going to begin today with a kind of introduction. Now, in ancient times, when you wrote a letter, if I wrote to Freddie over there, my letter would probably begin, Dear Freddie. And it would end with, love Steve. And he'd be a bit embarrassed about that, but I might say it anyway. Dear Freddie, love Steve. Now, in ancient times, people didn't write letters like that. What they did was, they wrote it like this. Love Steve, dear Freddie. They began with the end, that we call the end, and then moved on to the greeting to the person. And that's what happens in Romans chapter 1. You might like to have it open in front of you, by the way. Romans chapter 1, 1 to uh, not 17 or 18, I think we've read this morning. So let's look at what is actually said here. This is from Paul. Well, who was Paul? Um, well, Paul was writing here. Not, he didn't just say love Paul either at the end. He wrote much more than just love Paul. And the reason he wrote lots more than love Paul was because he wanted to demonstrate his credentials. He wanted to say, I have authority to teach you what I'm about to send to you. And I'm just going to write a little bit about who I am so you know what authority I have. First thing he says is this. Paul is a servant of Christ. Did you see that there? He is a servant of Christ Jesus. What gives you authority to speak about the message of God? 
Number one, that you are a servant of Jesus. Do you think that's true? It's interesting, isn't it? What gives you authority is that you are a servant. So any church leader that you sit under of any worth should not just in the way they speak on Sunday, but the way they are throughout their lives, demonstrate that they are a servant of Jesus Christ. That really matters. The second thing Paul says, I am an apostle. He says, I am an apostle. I am a servant of Jesus Christ, called in a specific role to be apostle. We are all servants of Jesus, aren't we? Those of us who follow Jesus, you're a servant of Jesus. Here's a good question. What are you called to be as a servant of Jesus? Paul says, I'm called to be an apostle. And that word technically means this. I am an eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection. Is that true of Paul? Did Jesus see or or encounter the risen Jesus? He did, didn't he? Not in the same way that many people did, but he did on the road to Damascus. And his job is to announce the news of what what he's encountered, to be a witness to that. That's what apostles were. And thirdly, he says, I'm called to be a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart, it says here, for the gospel of God. This is who I am. I am a servant. I'm called to be an apostle, an eyewitness, and I'm set apart for this thing. Here's one of my buzzwords to start off with, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is intending to be a witness to. Okay? So that's who Paul is. That's what we've learned so far. That's the love Paul bit. What about the two, two dear, dear Freddy bit? What's the dear Freddy bit in this? Well, in this letter, it says it's addressed to all in Rome who love, are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Everybody, this is, great, this is a great address, this. Everybody in Rome who is loved by God. That's, that's everybody, actually, isn't it? When you think about it. And called to be his holy people. Everybody in this. Now, of course, this is, we call it the letter to the church at Rome. I've been to Rome. It has a very big church there. It's called St. Peter's. It's enormous. It's the biggest church that I've ever been in in the whole of my life. And in some ways, the most amazing and awesome building that I've ever been into. It does take your breath away with how incredible the building is. When Paul wrote to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. However, he didn't write to the building that is St. Peter's. He didn't write to any building at all. Because the church at that time was probably fewer people than there are set in this room, considerably fewer, called from all different parts of the city who were picking up on this message, some of them because they were Jews and they were being told this message about this man Jesus who fulfilled their hope, Some of them, because they're Gentiles and they love this idea of somebody who seems to have risen from the dead and it changes everything. All of those people together, Paul is writing to, as they meet in their houses and they fellowship together day by day and they live lives. I'm going to be talking to the youth group tonight. Um, Please come if you're of a a, a 14 to 18 years to Mez's house. I'm really excited about it because one of the big questions is, what are we called to be as church? And that's what he says. Church, a group of people in Rome, loved by God, called to be holy. All of these people. He says all because actually in in Rome, there were Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And as we go through this letter, you'll find that the background to why Paul wrote at this particular time, to this particular place, for this particular purpose, was there were all sorts of problems about how these two groups who used to hate each other 
and not associate with each other are now called to be family. How does that work out? How is it possible for these people who, were, who didn't talk to each other to be reconciled and indeed see each other as family? And the answer is the gospel. That's the answer. Okay? So that's the second thing that I wanted you to say. Then he says, why write? Why did he write this letter? We said who it's to, who it's from, but who, why did he write it? Here's three reasons, I think, that he wrote. Number one, he writes to thank God for the people that are there. He says that right at the beginning. It's a wonderful thing, don't you think, to, to, about a church. Uh, you've heard me say some blather from the front of this church from time to time, because I am a bit of a sentimental old fella. I don't know if you've noticed that. I thank God for you, for you, Gordon, for you, Alan, for you, Sue, for you, Maggie. I thank God for you because you are my family whom I am working out what it is to follow Jesus together with. And the first reason Paul writes to this church is to say, I'm so thankful to God that you have found faith in Jesus. What an amazing thing. And that we're doing this together. Second reason, he says, is this. I want to come and see you. I want to come and see you. I've been trying to come and see you for ages, but you wouldn't believe, he did it like that, by the way. he said, you wouldn't believe how busy I've been. Busy, busy, busy. Always going to different places. But my heart's desire is to come to you. I want to visit you. Now, in Romans as a whole, one of the reasons he says like that is because Paul has this great desire, which is in line with Global Sunday, to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, which in those days was Spain basically, as far as they saw it, the other end of the Mediterranean. So he wanted to come to Rome with a view to the fact that he could use Rome as a staging point to go on to Spain as well and preach the gospel. That's one reason. But the other reason it says is here, I want to come and see you because I want to encourage you. I really want to be with you because I want to encourage you. I want to encourage your faith. And I want to be, be encouraged by you. That's why I want to be together. Why are we here this morning? What's the point? Well, we're here because... We worship Jesus today and declare some truths together, aren't we? Is that why you're here this morning? We're here today to learn together. We're here today to be commissioned to go and live a life for the rest of this week. And we're here today to encourage. And that's why Paul wants to go. And the third reason why Paul wants to go is this. I want to come to you to encourage you. And the way I'm going to encourage you is I'm going to share the gospel that you already know. I'm going to preach to you again the gospel because nothing is more important in Paul's mind than knowing the gospel and living out its implications. This is why Paul wrote his letter. Are you okay so far with all this that we've said? We know who it's from, who is Paul. We know who he wrote to. We know why he wrote those three things. But today I want to concentrate as an introduction in this word gospel. Here's my buzzy word, gospel. Do you know what the word gospel means? What's the word gospel mean? Good news. It's the, the Greek word for gospel. Who knows the Greek word for gospel? I bet some people do here. Stephen, what is it? Evangel. Evangel, which is the word from which we get evangelism and evangelist. It is a, a, an evangel was an announcer, somebody who went, ding dong, ding dong, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. Jesus is alive. Everything is different. Live differently. That's what an evangel was, someone who made an announcement that was here. So we're going to look about what is this thing called the gospel. Here's the first thing I want you to know about the gospel. It seems to me, at least, because the gospel is the very heart of this letter. The first thing you need to know is the gospel is all about Jesus. 
Is that obvious? It's not about you. That's a radical thought. The gospel is not about you. It is about Jesus and what he has done. And it affects you. Because you are the recipients of it. That's why I spoke to Debbie the other night when we were hungry here. It disturbs me somewhat when we sing our songs here that so many of our songs are about what we're going to do and how we feel. What we should be praising God about is what he has done and who he is. And then we can respond to that by what we're going to do and how, and how we feel about that. But we've got to declare something. This is the good news. It's an announcement. It's something that has happened. And it's all about Jesus. And it says here that Jesus is two things. He's the son of David. In other words, he comes from the story of the Old Testament. There's the Old Testament. Can you see it? Miles away, over the pages, back through the years, hundreds of years. There's a bloke called Isaiah who says, I want to tell you about the Evangel, the good news. And in Isaiah 52, he says to a people who are in exile, who need good news because they're away from home and they've lost everything. Here's the good news. God is going to send somebody as a representative who's going to bring you back from exile and you will meet him and you will know that God reigns. Your God reigns. That's the story, who Jesus is. Second thing is, it says here that also he is declared to be the son of God. Not just the fulfillment, the human fulfillment of something from history, but he's the son of God. And how do we know that? How do we know that? This is really important. Because at the center of Christian faith is this. Jesus was dead and is now alive forever. Hallelujah. I mean it. Hallelujah. Don't you think? Gosh, I wish we were Pentecostal this morning. Hallelujah. Yes. Jesus was dead and is alive. Now. And that makes all the difference to everything. But we're not used to having dead people come back to life and what that means. And so this whole letter is about, well, what does that mean then? How are you going to live? How are you going to live if this person is the Lord of the world and makes a demand on your life? How are you going to live? How are you going to live in relation to this good news? What are you going to do with it? That's what matters. Jesus, this is what the gospel is about. Son of David, son of God, the king of the kingdom of God that is coming. Secondly, about the gospel. We're still on the gospel. Remember, keep thinking about what the power of the gospel is. It says here that the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So, Paul writes to the Roman Christians to tell them about the gospel that lets them know that Jesus has demands on your life because he rose from the dead and he is Lord. Not Caesar, Jesus. Not worldly powers, Jesus. What does it mean to make him your Lord? That's what they're saying. But then he says as well that the power of gospel is about salvation. That's a funny old word, isn't it? We use it a lot in church. Salvation. Well, salvation means being saved. But what are you being saved from? What have you been saved from this morning coming here? What is it that we need to be saved from? And this is a really important part of the message of Romans. And we're going to talk about that next week. What is the predicament that means that we need to celebrate salvation. If we don't know this, we can't celebrate salvation. And that's what we're going to be doing. It says it's a powerful thing, though, doesn't it? It says here it's a powerful thing. Jesus is Lord, says the gospel, and that affects the whole world. Jesus saves, says the gospel, and that affects you individually as part of the whole world. What does it mean to be saved? Why do you need that? 
I think that what it says is the only reason you talk about salvation is because you are in a predicament that you can do nothing about yourself. Isn't that right? If you're in a predicament where you can do something about it yourself, you don't need salvation. You just need a bit of advice. But this is salvation. What is it that you cannot do and only God can do? That is the heart of the gospel that we are going to be talking about. It's not an endorsement or an embellishment or an enhancement of our life. It is essential to our life. Can you hear that, everybody? I just want you to hear that loud and clear. It is not an endorsement. Oh, come along because Jesus thinks you're cool and he can walk with you. It is not an enhancement. Get Jesus on board and your life will be like it was, but a little bit better. It is not an embellishment as if you somehow, you know, add a few sort of curly bits on the edge of your life. It is essential that you come to know Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no life, is what the gospel says. No Jesus. You know that thing? No Jesus, no life. You ever heard that? You can do that K-N-O-W or K-N-O if you like. It's very clever, that, isn't it? I didn't think about it. I just said it. Third thing about the gospel. Okay, so the gospel tells us Jesus is Lord. The gospel tells us it's about salvation. It saves you. The third thing is this. It says that the good news reveals something which we call the righteousness of God in the book of Romans. The good news reveals something about who God is. If you read John's gospel, one of the ways in which Jesus is presented is Jesus reveals what God is like. That's what saves us because we see God. In this, it says we are revealed what this thing called the righteousness of God is. Now, there have been books and books and books and scholars and scholars and scholars and different schools and schools of thought about what that phrase means, the righteousness of God. I haven't got time to argue about all that. And furthermore, I don't know the right answer. But it has to do something about being in the right, something between living right and something to do with the character of God and how God sees us. It's something to do with all of that. So here's three things which I think that righteousness means. And we'll explore these as the week goes on. If I don't, then you can ask me questions about it and I'll tell you I don't know the answer. So here we are. Here's the first thing about righteousness. Righteousness is something that God is. God is righteous. Another word for that is that God is holy. Do you know what holy means? Does it mean you've got lots of holes in you? No. Does it mean you don't do a lot of stuff? Maybe a little bit. Is it what you become when you stop having fun? No. Holy means different. That's what that word means. So God's different, isn't he? He's different to us. And he's different in a way because he consistently does good. Is good. Consistently. Perfectly. That's who he is. The righteousness of God matters to us because what God is, we are not. I don't know about you, but I don't consistently do good. I don't consistently think good, certainly. And I don't consistently say good things. But God is righteous, and I am not. Second thing, so God is something God is. Sorry, righteousness is something that God is. Secondly, righteousness is something God does. Righteousness is the word that we give for what God does in Jesus to bring about 
a new state of being where we can be in relationship with him. It is the fulfillment of an agreement which God made with people years and years before with a special people called Israel. I want you to be my people. I want you to be a light to the nations. I want you to live differently. I want you to live righteously. But it didn't work out because the people didn't. And the people who were supposed to be the answer became part of the problem. So what God did was he sent his son as a representative of that people to live the life that, everybody, that they should have been living so that we could see what God is like and so that we can be, find our way back to God. So God does something in Jesus. He comes in Jesus, he lives a different sort of life and he dies on a cross so that we don't have to and he gives us new life. Thirdly, righteousness is something that we receive. Now, this is slightly more controversial, I think, which some different people think. I don't think that we receive from God a righteousness that makes us in and of ourselves like Jesus. It doesn't. Can I tell you a little secret? In and of myself, I'm still not like Jesus. I'm really not. I'm like Steve. And Steve's all right, but he's certainly not righteous in himself. But we are given a declaration that says that when God looks at us, he declares that we are set right with God and we do not need to be feared as a result of that. And he gives us this thing called the Holy Spirit, this person called the Holy Spirit, who is stirring us to live differently so that our lives look more like Jesus' life. And that's what we're called into. Do you believe that? Isn't that exciting? We're on a way. We're on a journey. So almost there. Is everybody all right? Right. Sorry, children, this is a bit heavy. I couldn't make this much lighter than it was. I'm trying my best to do this. So here's another buzzword, righteousness. Buzzword, so word, gospel, salvation, righteousness. We're going to explore these words and what they mean. The next bit. So the gospel is the good news that Jesus is Lord. It's the power in, of God in Christ's salvation. It reveals a righteousness for God, and it is also an announcement to be made. That's what the good news is. I listened to a podcast this week, and I love this phrase. He says, we have good news, not good advice. That's really important, because if we had good advice from God, it would mean, here's how you should live your life. Do this, 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 and this, and things will work out all right. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is good news about something that God has done in Jesus, has done already, that we are to step into by faith and announce to other people and bring life as a consequence of it. The power of this does not come because it's good advice, because we will fail of ourselves. You know, my big prayer about the COP26 thing at the moment is this. We desperately need an agreement, but we're relying on sinful people to come together and agree to do something that sinful people won't be able to do, because they're selfish. We need a work of God in that, if anything's going to work there. And we should be changing that. It's really true. It's obvious. Because ultimately, even when situation is dire, we put self-interest first. Of course we do. But the gospel is not a to-do list. It's a job done. And for Paul, the gospel isn't just what Jesus did. It's the message about Jesus that he announces. And he says in Romans that announcing this message, telling you, if I tell Jane here, by the way, Jane, Jesus loves you. He lived a life for you. He died for you. You're set free. You don't need to be guilty or fearful. You need to live for him, and you need to follow him now. And if you do, you will find fulfillment and know God's, God's company and love. Simply announcing that to Jane 
has the power through the Holy Spirit to bring hope to her life and changing her life because it has substance in Jesus. So we need to announce it, everybody. When was the last time you announced it? Monday morning staff meeting, where you are. Sorry, before everybody goes on, I'd just like to make this announcement. We may think these things, but Jesus is Lord. He has died for us. We are set free. Good news. Let's live accordingly. Well, you're probably not going to do that. But you will have opportunity this week to do something like that. You will. That's what the gospel is. Finally, the gospel is a call to something. It says in Romans chapter 1 this, that it calls people to the obedience that comes by faith. So in other words, I think, and you can tell me I'm wrong later, but I'm just saying I think the gospel makes a difference now. Not in the future when we die and we go to heaven, although that's part of the promise. The big news of the gospel is that Jesus is Lord of all the earth. And if those who follow him live believing that, then we will start to see this world a better place, a different place, and we will have eternity to look forward to as well. Live out of the obedience that comes from faith. You cannot obey by yourself, because otherwise you wouldn't need salvation, but you've been saved. Step into it and live out of obedience. Someone has written, you cannot claim to have Jesus as your saviour if you do not claim to have Jesus as your Lord. I think that's true. You can't say, oh yeah, Jesus saved me, but it doesn't make any difference to where I'm going to live my life now. Part of the gospel is recognising, where we come back to slide one, we are set apart for the gospel as a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be dot, 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 an accountant, a teacher, something in the council that nobody really knows what he does, <laughs> an advocate for climate change in retirement, Somebody who does something in the government that nobody really knows what he does about boats. <laughs> Somebody does things with air, at the airport or wrote, writes about golf. Somebody who's served faithfully as a trustee of a hospital for years and is still a really good evangelist. Somebody who works on building sites, I think. I don't know what he does, but he's got a big lorry van thing and he drives off in it and it looks really impressive. But he also looks really, really smart. So he's important, obviously, as well. Called to be set apart for the gospel as a servant of Jesus Christ. That's the good news, folks. That's the gospel. That will change. That will change your life. That will change our lives. That would change the world. So, has anyone texted us, Jerry? Twelve. Can you come and see what we got there? This is where you can put me right on what we said. Have you got a favourite? Don't say it's a favourite because that was really powerful. Right, read three sounds. Really powerful. Well, let's see. Yeah, give her a name because she won't. Okay, Lucy says, the power of the gospel changes the whole trajectory of your life. It brings life to you that starts now and will not end even when you die. Good stuff. 
Uh, Anthea Cowan says, the power of the gospel is visible, is visible, sorry, is visible when, on hearing it, a person turns their life around from self-focused to God-focused. Mm -hmm. Ian Perks, the power of the gospel is able to break through our lives and negate self-interest. Marion Laker, the power of the gospel is to give hope. Amen. Yeah, you can give an amen after these if you... Mez Ascot. Mez Ascot, to be set free from the punishment that was coming my way, from my wrongdoing and thinking so that I might not live in denial or fear, but live in freedom to be fully alive as the person that God created me to be. Amen. Patrick's a late entry here. He says, uh, thank you, Patrick. The gospel is the driver of life. That's a good expression, isn't it? The driver of life. Ginger. Uh, From home, I think. Says, God, God's power is the gospel. Through faith, it teaches. Yeah, Ooh. teaches Ginger. There are flying in there. Who's this? Angela Roberts? The power of the gospel lifts me up when I, have, when I feel overwhelmed. Amen. Amen. Stephen Judson, by the power of God, our relationship with him is restored, bringing peace, freedom, joy, hope, security, life forever. Amen. David Yule, the gospel is life-giving. Sorry, the gospel is the life-giving roar of Aslan across the world. I love that one, Dave. Can I just think, can we have a life-giving roar of Aslan now? <laughs> oh, that was wonderful. <laughs> Cara Jeffries, the gospel is the ability that God has to save us, changing our lives from despair to hope. Wow. How long have we got? I think we ought to stop about there. Let's just do Alex Davey. He'll probably say Alex something Davey, controversial. The power of the gospel, the good news, is its ability to open hearts and transform people by God's spirit because of what Jesus did for us. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, thank you so much for sharing all that stuff as well. One of the things I want to say to us is that this isn't me telling you about the gospel. This is us sharing together about the gospel. We want to hear testimonies. We want to hear stories about how God is changing our lives now, in the here and now, and the circumstances that we are. Because I want to tell you something. The good news is for now. Do you believe that? I so believe that. I really don't get so, much, so excited if it just is put off until I'm dead. The, good, the gospel, folks, my friends, my family, you lovely people who I thank God for, is good news for today. Today. Still the greatest treasure of all remains for those who gladly choose you now. Now. Amen.